Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. Paige Beckers is back. UConn is playing its best basketball of the season. The regular season is over. The Big East tournament is on the horizon, and there are lots of questions about the NCAA tournament. It's a very exciting time of the season. March has officially arrived somehow, some way. I'm still not really sure how we got to this point this quickly, but here we are. It's March. It's here. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the big story of the week, Paige Becker's returns. She comes back on Friday at the XL Center against St. John's, makes her second appearance in on senior day against Providence, her first start. All in all, a pretty reasonable return for her. She played 12 minutes against St. John's had eight points on four or five shooting. And then against Providence, she played 13 minutes, got her first start and had a team high five assists along with two points. I think the biggest thing is that she looked good out there. She didn't play with a brace and she made her return in style. The end of the first quarter, she puts a move on a defender that was eerily similar to the play that she hurt her knee on. I remember watching it from the end line and it looked almost exactly the same doesn't even flinch shoots hits a shot at the buzzer crowd goes nuts page goes nuts the entire team goes nuts and then she just had a couple other plays the rest of the way where it looked like page it looked like she hadn't skipped a beat and obviously her conditioning is definitely not there she's still breaking the rust off there's still a lot of ways to go for her to even be at an elite level but overall, I think it was a very, very solid return and pretty much as good as could be reasonably expected of her. Exactly. Didn't expect to see her, obviously, a ton of minutes this past weekend, but she got out there. She did some of the things that you're accustomed to seeing her do, which I think is a good sign for sure. And now they've got a full week of practice before they have another game. So time to get that conditioning up, get a little bit more comfortable out there. Um, I think we'll know a lot more about where she's at after the Big East tournament, but I think in general, overall a good return and kind of what you would expect to see. One thing Gino mentioned after the St. John's game, but was especially true after Providence was that Paige goes out there and makes plays that not only the rest of the players on the team aren't capable of making, they're not even thinking about making. And I think that was perfectly exemplified by a play against Providence where Paige got a rebound. I think it was, and half the team had already run up on a fast break and Paige got about to the three-point line on UConn's side of the floor. And she launches a three-fourths pass, hits Kristen Williams perfectly in stride. I think Kristen took one step or something and immediately laid it in. And that was just the perfect example of what Gino said. Not only can 
Paige be the only one that's even capable of making a play like that. She's the only one that's even going to pretend to think about a play like that. And I think that sums up what she can contribute. As we talked about last episode, right away, even if she's not at her normal strength, her normal capacity, she can still make those type of plays here and there. Still had a couple really nice plays, drives to the rim where the defense couldn't really stop her against St. John's. And a team high five assists in only 13 minutes against Providence. So it's a start and that's all it needs to be because now you got three games coming up in the big East tournament, two of which should be against pretty good teams. And then also the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament a couple weeks after that. So there's a lot of time for her to still get her feet back under her. She's got a full week of practice. She's going to have 10 days of practice after that. She's going to have the practice time between the first rounds and the regionals. There's a lot of time for her to continue to get back to 100%. And what we saw from her, I think, is a really good place to start. It's probably, I, I didn't really have expectations for what she could do in her first few games back. But even if I didn't have any, I think she was still better than what I might have, would have expected. Exactly. I think seeing her go out there and do some of the things that you use, you're used to seeing her do, like you said, the kind of the plays in the lane, the big passes, things like that. I think she looked pretty comfortable for someone that's just two games back off the, off of an injury. So I think that's a really good sign. The other thing about Paige's return is that it lit a fire under the rest of the team in a way that we haven't seen this year. Just last episode, we talked about how UConn has not played a perfect game. There hasn't been one of those wire-to-wire total beatdowns where the game's over by the end of the first quarter, and whatever happens after that is basically gravy, and you feel like the game should just be stopped at halftime because it's so ugly. They managed to do that in both of their games with Paige Becker's back, their last two games of the regular season, and Paige Becker's wasn't even that major of a contributor. It was just the entire team seemed to gain this full confidence that they hadn't had or that they had started to develop, but it wasn't completely there that all of a sudden looked completely different. Just not even with Paige back on the floor because against St. John's, they started out with a 17-0 run. And a lot of that was without Paige Becker's. Just the fact that she was out there and ready to potentially play seemed to give this team so much confidence because it was a complete performance up and down the lineup as a team in terms of individuals. Everybody played well, everybody contributed, everyone looked good, and it certainly passed the eye test in every single regard. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think we talked about this last week, right, how they hadn't had that yet. And then they, of course, came out this weekend and had back-to-back performances like that was just really strong performances on both ends of the floor offensively they scored it was like 98 points they had the highest scoring quarter of the or highest scoring half of the season in Friday night's game with Paige back and then Saturday or Sunday again they scored 88 points despite not scoring for the first few minutes of the game probably just due to senior day nerves so really strong offensive performances and then defensively as well. I'm holding both teams in the thirties, um, just really shutting them down. I mean, you look at a Providence team that scored over 60 points on UConn in the last meeting and Janae Crooms had 27 points. The entire Providence team didn't even get to 27 points until midway through the fourth quarter. Right. Most of the Providence game was 
the Friars trying to have more points than turnovers and more points than <laughs> UConn had offensive rebounds. It was that bad of a beat down. And like you said, that was all with UConn coming out of the gates flat, largely due to senior day. I think we saw all four seniors were very emotional during the ceremony. The team was very emotional. There's this great photo that the AP got where there's Dorka Uhas and her teammates walked her out because her parents couldn't come. And all of her teammates are crying. And Nika Mule specifically was just in tears the entire ceremony. So it's a little tough to flip the switch that quickly. And once UConn got over those emotions, they just ran away with it very, very quickly. So I think, yeah, there's no reason to be concerned about one little blip, especially when it was as dominant as it was the rest of the way. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost funny that we've been waiting three months to talk about Paige Beckers being back and what this team might look like when Paige Beckers is back. And we finally have that. And there's not actually a whole lot to say because it was 25 minutes of Paige's performance. And without looking it up, I can't imagine there's many times in her UConn career where she's played fewer than 25 minutes in a single game. And when every single player on the team is playing well, there's not really anyone standing out to be able to pick out and highlight or an individual aspect of the team to be able to pull out and talk about. It was really just up and down a good performance from everyone. I can't really find many negatives over the last two games or anything that really truly stands out because there were some moments where it was Kristen Williams doing the scoring or Avina Westbrook having, I think, what did she have? 10 assists one game Mm -hmm. and didn't score or Caroline Ducharme having a really good game against Providence or (laughs) Aaliyah Edwards starting to turn it on. AZ Fudd continuing to hit from three. Nika Mule contributing. Just there's no one that isn't playing really good basketball right now. And the caveat of that is St. John's and Providence aren't the greatest teams in the world. They're not the toughest tests UConn's faced in the Big East. But I think we're going to see that in the Big East tournament this week. They're going to open against the winner of Providence and Georgetown. We just saw what they did to Providence. I'd imagine they do something similar to Georgetown. Then they're going to play, you know, assuming they win. They're (laughs) going to play the winner of Marquette and DePaul. DePaul, I think, would give them a little more trouble. But as we saw just a couple weeks ago, they're still capable of putting a big beat down on DePaul. And then if the high seeds hold out on the other side, it's going to be either Villanova or Creighton. And if they play Villanova, I think that is going to be an ugly, ugly performance in terms of UConn wins by roughly 70 points. They're going to bury Villanova if they get the chance to play them again. So they will get some tests in the Big East tournament. So if they continue rolling like this and they continue putting together really complete performances and everyone's contributing and the death that we talked so much about is firing and Paige Beckers is getting better with every single game. That's when I think we can really start to take these developments. I don't want to say that we shouldn't take what we've seen the last two games seriously, but I think we can put a lot more stock and a lot more weight into them and not just say, okay, they beat up on bad teams the way they should. DePaul is not a bad team. Villanova or Creighton are both, teams that should be in the NCAA tournament, even if they're not top 10 teams, if you're blowing out and crushing good teams, that's a really good sign. And 
maybe these chemistry, not issues, but the chemistry that they need to figure out with all these players, maybe that clicks a lot quicker than we thought it would. Yeah, exactly. I think next weekend is going to tell us a lot about where they really are at. Cause like we said, games this weekend, as good as they are, the competition wasn't the best, but I think if you're stringing together performances like that against the likes of DePaul or Nova or Creighton, that says a lot about where this team is at. And I think heading into March, that's what you're going to want to see if this team is going to have, you know, championship hopes and things like that. So I think we'll learn a lot in the Big East tournament, but I don't know. I mean, consistency has been this team's biggest enemy. So if they can kind of find that consistency now and continue what we saw this weekend, I think they'll be in good shape. Especially the depth being what it is. I don't think consistency necessarily needs to be there in the same way every single night because Avina Westbrook didn't score against Providence, but she had 10 assists. And it's hard to say that Avina Westbrook didn't contribute in that game. And over her last games, she's shooting or her last 10 games, I should say she's shooting over 60% from three, not from three, from two, sorry. She's shooting over 60% from two point range, 67% actually. That is seriously impressive. AZ FUD is shooting 52% from three. So It feels like they have enough players that are going to be able to score. They have enough in the post that, you know, if Liv isn't necessarily having a big scoring day, then Aaliyah might have a big scoring day or Dork is having a big scoring day. And I think Dork has been playing really well recently. Or if Paige is just one passer out there and you've also got Liv and Avina Westbrook or Nika Mule, who have both been really good passers recently. And that's a whole nother element. And Very quietly, Nika Mule is shooting 43% from three over her last 10 games. So it's not like she's just a black hole on offense in terms of scoring. When you give her open shots, she's capable of hitting. And if you have a lineup out there with her and really any of the other guards, but let's just say AZ Fudd and one of Kristen Williams or Paige Beckers, who we can see, who we both know can shoot the three, that's going to leave AZ Fudd open for a lot of shots. And then Feels like Olivia Nelson, Dota, Dorky, Uhas, and Aliyah Edwards are all starting to find their groove from deep. It, we're starting to see where this depth is coming together and how different players just need to contribute in any way because there's enough volume there that someone's going to pick up the load for scoring or rebounding or assists or defense. And once it all starts working in concert, that's when this team is really dangerous. And if they can do that against the really good teams, then yeah, this is when this is a national championship can, to contender for real, not just in terms of their potential when they start playing like that. That's probably the biggest thing to look forward to in this Big East tournament is how is all this depth working together? How is it meshing together? And how are the different players and groups and lineups mixing? And how are they being rotated? And all of those sorts of things, because that's going to be the really key factor when they play in the sweet 16, the elite eight. And if they get to the final four there and how they might win a national championship, all those pieces need to come together. You can't have, you can afford an off night, but in order for that to happen, everyone else has to be firing. Right. I think their margin for error has gotten much bigger than it was even a couple of weeks ago with having everyone back, especially, I mean, until they get kind of the regional final four, I think they have a much larger margin of error than they did before because they've got so much depth now that you can afford for one person to have an off night and it's not going to be devastating. But 
like you said, everything does need to come together in just a few weeks when we're talking about, you know, regionals, final four, and that type of thing that's going to be coming up. So it'll be interesting to see kind of going into next weekend, how it all comes together with hopefully Paige playing a little bit more time. And does it look as good as it did this weekend? Um, and then they obviously have another week of practice to build from, or two weeks almost of practice to build from there. So there's still a lot of time left, but I think we're starting to get, we'll start at least next weekend. I think get a you know, picture of really where this team is at. Cause I don't really think we know that yet. No, no, we're still going off a very relatively limited sample size, but I think it is promising that they started to play better with everyone except page back and then plugging page in almost gave them a shot of espresso and just totally blew it to another level. And I wonder if that's a little bit of just the immediacy effect where, yeah, it's easy to do that two games when you have Paige back, but when you're in your, when it's a little more normal that she's back is that same energy level and that same confidence going to stay there. It might, but that's something we're going to learn in the Big East tournament and not just in the Big East tournament, because I think there's only so much we can take away from the entire tournament with it being three games in three days and not having any practice time in between. So what they do on Saturday and what they do on Monday may not be all that different because it's just game, game, game. But if they then continue that into the first round, even though that's going to be against a 15 or 14 seed and the second round against whatever seed that may be, then suddenly I think it starts to become a little more clear and we get a much better picture of what this team really is, because the answer to that may end up being, okay, they're actually still inconsistent and they're just going to need to cross their fingers and hope that they show up at the right time. Right. Yeah. I think we'll get a better idea this weekend, but we're still not going to know because there's still so much time. I mean, there's still like over two or almost two weeks of practice between next weekend and the start of, the actual NCAA tournament too. Yeah. And the funny thing is it's almost come full circle where at the start of the year, I think so much of the talk was about how, okay, this team doesn't really need practice anymore. They need to start getting games because they were just going such long stretches without games. And now it's almost like some practice time could actually do this team good because they're trying to work in so many different pieces and they're really practicing together for the first time all season or at the very least in four months. So it wouldn't hurt them to get a little bit of practice time in and have just some cohesion on the practice floor before then getting a nice little dress rehearsal in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament to try it all out. Then you get to go back to the practice floor. And even though I don't really expect them to lose in the sweet 16, even if things go really wrong, that's still going to be a tough game. That's still probably going to be, a top of the big East quality team at the very, very least. So it's just something that actually could they end up playing the one seed in the sweet 16? No, 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 no. They'd have to drop to four, right? Yeah. That's not going to happen. I guess if they decide to lose a game in the Big East tournament, maybe, but other than that, no. Yeah. So the sweet 16 is where it really starts, but I'd honestly be very, very stunned if this team, as it's, set up i'm not talking about if someone gets injured or if something weird happens i still think this team is too strictly talented to lose in the sweet 16 
Yeah. I mean, you're talking about them playing a two or a three seed, depending where they end up eventually falling in the Sweet 16. So it could be a tough matchup. Um, but I think it's going to depend how the bracket shakes out. I still think it's unlikely that they'll lose in the Sweet 16. But I mean, you, I mean you've got like Baylor on the two line right now. Depending where they end up, you could have a pretty tough matchup in the Sweet 16. Right. Definitely. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, the NCAA selection committee revealed their third and final bracket, I believe, before the NCAA tournament. UConn is still a three seed. This time they are in the Greensboro regional with South Carolina as the one seed. Little bit of a surprise to not only see them in Greensboro with the number one overall seed, because that's not exactly helpful to the number one overall seed to have to play what could be the second best team in the country in the elite eight. It's also a little weird that UConn is still on the three line. Granted, they are the ninth overall team. So they're one spot away from being on the two line and teams have already lost since it got revealed last night and teams are going to continue to lose with the conference tournaments coming up. So it's still likely that it changes, but were you surprised to not only see them in Greensboro, but still on the three line? Yeah, I am not entirely shocked on the, that they're on the three line. I would have had them as the last two, so it's really only one spot off. I think, you know, they're really close. And I think that group of teams that's kind of on the two, three line, so that's LSU at seven overall, Michigan at eight, UConn at nine, and Texas at 10. It's a lot of splitting hairs in that group. So it's not totally shocking that they're there. I think there's definitely a case for them to be on that two line already, but that's where the committee has them at the moment. I think. On the positive side, LSU and Michigan both sitting above UConn going into a conference tournament where both teams are likely to lose a game. So I think UConn's path to the two line is still pretty evident at this point. Yeah, it feels like they're probably still going to end up as a two, especially I don't really know how much the committee might take it into account. But if UConn blows through the Big East tournament and every single game is decided by 30 points and the team doesn't really show any cracks, I wonder if that type of performance would give them just more credit and more value in the committee's eyes to bump them up simply on their resume alone, considering the injuries that they've had and not even just if you say they didn't have Paige Beckers for all this time and she drops like 35 points in the Big East final or something crazy like that. I wonder how much that might factor into it because I have a hard time, if possible, seeing the committee not put them in Bridgeport because right now, as we were talking about earlier, the this, you can't have two teams from the same conference ranked in the top four seeds in the same regional if you can help it. And right now, I believe that would be an issue, which is why they're not in Bridgeport. But if possible, I can't see UConn not being in Bridgeport. And I can't imagine the committee would send them to Greensboro because that really just would not be fair to South Carolina. And in terms of just getting eyeballs on games, you'd much rather have that be a final four matchup, whether it be semifinals or national championship than an elite eight matchup, because yeah, it's still a game no matter what, but way more casual fans are going to be tuning into the final four, I believe, than they would an elite eight game, even if it is those two teams. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think unless they're like backed into a corner where they absolutely have to put UConn in South Carolina's region, I don't, I just don't see it happening. 
And I, I still more likely than not think they end up on the two line and more likely than not in Bridgeport. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time panicking over like what we saw in the reveal yesterday. There's still a lot of pieces to move. I mean, all of the conference tournaments, you've got, I think, four Big Ten teams in this top 16, four Big 12 teams, three or two ACC teams, multiple SEC teams. Like, all these teams have to play each other in their conference tournaments, which means things are going to move a lot. Teams are going to fall out. Teams are going to move in. Um, teams are going to move up and down. So this is going to look a lot different in two weeks from this past Sunday when we have selection Sunday. So a lot of movements still to happen. Just, I mean, we already saw Iowa State get blown out by Baylor that drops them on the two line. If they lose again, they're probably dropping to a three that already makes room for you kind of move up. So I think there's, there's, there's a lot to happen still. Yeah. And I think the only concern with not playing in Bridgeport and playing in Greensboro is you're going to have to play an elite game, elite eight game on the road against South Carolina. And I think, that's a really tough prospect because as we've seen with UConn for the past, however many years or the crowd that favors one team on a neutral court definitely helps, whether it's been Albany or Bridgeport, we've seen how that helps UConn. And while I don't think the argument that UConn's final four streak is exclusively because they've played those, there's no doubt that it's helped them. Obviously it helps to play closer to home to play with your own fans there, but Again, that's not the reason UConn's there. I still think UConn could go and beat South Carolina in Greensboro. South Carolina would have to get to the Elite Eight, too. Obviously, that's a factor. But if they go to Spokane and have to play Stanford, I don't think there's going to be a massive Stanford contingent out there. It's not like that's a very manageable place to get to compared to if the game was in Oakland or San Francisco. It's a very, very different situation. It's on the same coast. That's about as much as a similarity as there is. And then Wichita, I'm not sure if anyone is going to be in Wichita for those games. I don't even know if you can get to Wichita as a normal human being without a charter flight. So aside from that, I think you just don't want to end up in Greensboro because of South Carolina. If you end up having to go to one of the other two regionals, I don't think I would really be all that concerned with UConn having to play in a neutral venue. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think having to play at Greensboro against South Carolina, which is going to draw a huge crowd, is going to be a tough environment to play. And not that they can't win that game, but it's just going to be definitely the toughest game that you could possibly have in an Elite Eight scenario. Um, so I think that's definitely not an ideal situation. Obviously, the ideal situation is to be in Bridgeport and to kind of have that home court advantage throughout the first two rounds. But I don't know that like them having to go to Wichita or having to go to Spokane is going to be that big of a deal in terms of how far this UConn team can go. But if they can avoid Greensboro, I think that's the most important thing. But like I said, I still think they're going to be the two in Bridgeport. So I wouldn't spend much time stressing about it or I wouldn't sell anyone sell their tickets yet either. <laughs> right. I'm not booking any flights anywhere. I'm not booking hotels anywhere. We're going to know soon enough because we'll, it is a little funky because if I remember right, don't we have to wait a full week until after the conference tournaments until selection Sunday, right? It's not yes, because yeah. yeah, there's other conference. So most of the major conference tournaments are this coming week in the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 are this weekend, but Big 12 is not until the following weekend. So there's still going to be a lot up in the air until kind of down to the wire with the Big 12. 
Right. I feel like we will have a pretty good idea of where things stand yeah. after this weekend, though. Which is great. I think that will answer a lot of questions. Other than I think the Big 12 is causing a lot of issues at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out as well. But I think um, we'll have a better idea of how things are moving after this weekend. I just really don't want to go to Wichita. (laughs) Uh, Just the thought of that. But I do think that would be like the easiest reach of the plan, assuming that Louisville stays on the one line. Oh, definitely. I mean, you can't almost <laughs> beat Louisville. Bridgeport, because I think Louisville is easier to beat than NC State. But anyway, <laughs> right? You can't almost beat Louisville with basically one hand tied behind their back. Yep. <laughs> I think UConn would have a pretty easy time. And when you add in the revenge factor, for whatever reason, this UConn team seems to just operate on a different level when it comes to the mental game, where either they're going to take any slight or any motivation that they can and blow it up times a thousand. So if you have to play a team that you've already lost to, they are absolutely going to pound that team into the ground. There's no doubt in my mind that this UConn team is going to do that with the exception of South Carolina, where I don't think you can pound South Carolina into the ground, but really anyone other than that, I think they would have (laughs) a lot to say going into that game, especially with how close most of the Louisville game was not having page, not having AZ, not having Nico mule, not having half the roster basically, mm-hmm. but just on a personal level, Albany is incredibly boring to spend a weekend in and <laughs> I'm working most of the weekends of these regionals. So it's not like I'm looking to go do a bunch of stuff in between the games. I'm doing a lot of work, but just what is there in Kansas to do? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair to Kansas, but I just imagine it is miles and miles of cornfields, especially Wichita. Yeah, I've never been to Wichita. I've only ever been to Kansas City, which is technically in Missouri, so I'm not really sure what's in Kansas. Well, technically there is Kansas City, Kansas across the river. But I've only been to the Missouri side. (laughs) And like Spokane, Washington School, so there would be stuff to do in Spokane. I imagine. I just don't want to travel cross country mostly, especially with a potential trip halfway back out to Minneapolis. And then I don't know. I've never been to Greensboro, but I can't imagine it's the worst place in the world. So, okay. So I I went to TripAdvisor to look up things to do in Wichita. (laughs) And I feel like the number one sign of a city being terrible is when something that has nothing to do with the city is number one. And the Sedwick County Zoo is first. <laughs> and I just feel like a zoo doesn't, like, sure, zoo, great, enjoyable experiences, but you can go to a zoo almost anywhere. Yeah. The second are gardens, which in March, I don't think are going to be too spectacular. There's Keeper an old the- so. <laughs> I saw that one. Dry hood, goods and clothings, largest stock, lowest prices, the Southwest, nice old timey building. The Museum of World Treasures, Frank Lloyd Wright Al- Wright's Allen House. I definitely know who that is. No, I actually think I know who that is. Do I know who that is? <laughs> I don't know. And the Great Plains Nature Center. Oh, oh. <laughs> that just doesn't make you tingle. I don't know what does. <laughs> so again, please just just don't make me go to Wichita. And look, I'm not. This is not actually anything about Bridgeport either. Bridgeport is terrible, but at least Bridgeport is close. Yeah. I don't have to get yeah, on a plane. Get to sleep to to in your own bed, at least. <laughs> yes, yes, that is a much different situation. This is 
I mean, I really don't know if Bridgeport is better than Wichita. It's different. And at least there's things around Bridgeport that are nice, like Fairfield, great time. New Haven's close enough. Milford has things. The the shore's right there. You know, there's the P.T. Barnum Museum, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's things that exist. It's not just all cornfields. Not that I'm thrilled about four days straight in Bridgeport, but (laughs) that's manageable. Again, like you said, can can sleep in your own bed. It's not that bad of a drive. Manageable. I, I could do that. It's actually a better drive than Mohegan's not in my opinion. So yeah, there's at least that going for it. Oh, I, I cannot disagree with that more. <laughs> uh, see, I don't the mind route two. Driving from Mohegan's on at night on that like route two with no lights is horrible. I hate it. <sighs> see, I drive on route two all the time. So I know every turn <laughs> in that road. It does it doesn't bother me at all. But I abhor the Merritt Parkway in 95. Both of those things are terrible. And Route 2 is at least less busy. There's not usually that many cars around. So at least you're by yourself. 95 or the Merritt or 91, you just have people whipping by you and then tractor trailers left and right, at least on no 95 or 91. On the Merritt. My, it's my favorite highway. No tractor trailers. Oh, I hate the Merritt with all my soul. <laughs> that, that's the one benefit that it has. But people make up for it by driving 50 miles over the speed limit. Well, yeah, I mean, no one actually drives 55 in the Merritt. It's also my favorite because you take so much time off the estimated arrival time because no one drives speed limit. That's true. <laughs> I just, I, I hate going to that part of the state. Nice part of the state. It's not fun to drive to. So I will take Mohegan Sun every single time. But yeah, I, I'm still fine driving to Bridgeport. It's like 40 minutes to Mohegan Sun for me. It's like an hour to Bridgeport. So I save 40 minutes round trip. I, I just don't want to travel that far, especially with Minneapolis potentially being right on the horizon. That's a lot of travel in the span of a couple of weeks. It is. I can't imagine what it would be like if home teams or the top, what is it, four seeds don't actually host the opening rounds. And we would have to go to like um, making up cities, Fort Wayne first, and <laughs> then out to Spokane, assuming like a new or Northeast city doesn't host it. Mm-hmm. And then to Minneapolis every single year for the NCAA tournament, hard pass. <laughs> when is it that they're going to two regionals? That's like not that far off, right? No, I want to say it's not 2023, is it? No, it's not next year. I know that, but it's still, it's not far off. It's still like 2024, 2025, which I think is going to be fun from like a coverage standpoint that you're there for all the games but i'm curious to see how that works because it's going to be a lot in a very short amount of time because those things are always very chaotic even with just the four teams adding eight teams in there eight teams fans are they going to do it or like wonder if it's going to hurt the fans because i think largely the regionals are placed like spokane this year in areas that are kind of close to teams that typically are high seeds and have large fan contingents like Greensboro, Bridgeport. And when you can't plan until the last minute and there's only two places and you have to fly across the country, I don't know how that's going to work with the fans. It actually is 2023 that it goes to everything. Oh, wow. So next year it's Greenville and Seattle. Ah, fun. So yeah, both cities is Greenville? No, I'm thinking of Charlestown in South Carolina. Still, Greenville. 
It's great. The year after is Albany and Portland, which <laughs> it's very annoying that half the people are going to get to go to Portland and we're going to get stuck in Albany. <laughs> after that is Birmingham and Spokane. And then the last one that they have sites for is Fort Worth and Sacramento, which both of those are heavy on the travel. Yeah. I mean, honestly, as long as we don't have to go to Birmingham, I'll not complain about anything else. <laughs> is, I feel like, I don't know if I've heard good things about Birmingham. I feel like it might not actually be that bad, though. It's in Alabama. How good can it be? <laughs> That's a fair point. Then the final fours after this year are Dallas, Cleveland, Tampa, and Phoenix. Interesting. So 2026, if they get sent out to Sacramento, it's just going to be chilling out on the West Coast for. Yeah. Like Phoenix two is weeks. like a fun Final Four city. I like that choice. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one. I feel like we should replace either Tampa or Dallas with the New Orleans one that we never got. Yeah, I agree. Dallas is not very exciting. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> it's going to be like seven years since they hosted, not even six years since they hosted their previous Final Four. Tampa is going to be seven years, I think. No, Tampa is going to be the same thing, six years. Mm-hmm. Then Cleveland, like, I Cleveland's not as bad as it seems, but I also don't think it's that exciting either. Yeah. It could be worse. <laughs> It yeah, could, be it could be Tampa. Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Next time we will be discussing the Big East tournament and looking ahead to the NCAA tournament. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever it is. Maybe one of these days I'll get it onto its own feed. It's coming at some point. It is coming. We have 10 days after the Big East tournament. Maybe (laughs) I need to use that time effectively. We will see. No promises. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Become a premium member if you so desire. Read the UConn blog. Megan, got anything to send us into the postseason with? Happy March, everyone. That'll do it.